Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Another Monday night, we are here, we are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all over the darn place. I am your host, as always, Timushin here in Chicago, and with us this week is Gally. Gally, what's happening? Same as always, except for a couple minutes late, but that's all right, technically difficulties will happen or just not paying attention to the clock yeah i was gonna say yeah i'm glad you said technical difficulties in truth we were chatting and we were like holy <laughs> shit it's all one uh, <laughs> uh bickler is not with us this evening uh he had some unfinished business in new york uh i guess he didn't bury the bodies yet so you have to go back and finish the job <laughs> this is like what they talk about when you take one business trip and then you have to have another business trip which is really other words for i have a court date next week <laughs> Yeah, so he's not with us today. So if you're in the New York area, once again, heads up. Uh, he is in the vicinity lurking. Uh, so I wouldn't go out in the dark. Uh, Alan is with us as always. Brian and the gang is joining up. Uh, so gather around. Uh, we have a lot to get to over here. I know the boys were on this morning. I missed the festivities of the morning coffee show. Um, and I know they were like kind of uh, trying to make it look like I was trying to learn to tie my shoes or something. I don't know how the helmet came out with that, by the way. But so let me get this off the chest, by the way. And I know we have a lot of like international audience over here. So I know there's going to be a lot of people who kind of like feel for this. Uh, you will not know this uh, as much, uh, Gally, but uh, when you're in a foreign country and when you got to get shit done, uh, you got to go to your freaking consulate and deal with your consulate and stuff. And even though they're nice as hell, so let's put that disclaimer, they're very polite and they're extremely nice and everything. But goddamn, man, like, you know, had to wait there today was hell. Uh, literally spent my entire day almost uh, waiting in an office. And, you know, the thing with consulates is it's not like you can be like, you know what? I'm taking my business somewhere else and go to the Bulgarian or Romanian consulate. You're kind of stuck there. There's no competition. So you got to be like, you can kind of divide it, even though. I will admit uh, I did lose my temper a little bit. And before you know it, uh, I pulled a little Karen over there and uh, I was uh, moved up to the front of the line right away, got the paperwork and got the hell out of there. But quiet the day. But I know the boys talked about it in the morning and I know we have a lot of stuff that happened throughout the day we're going to get to. Uh, so I kind of like want to start with that. Let's start with the captaincy thing. Um, so I think Van Dyke, let's start with Van Dyke. I think it's probably... I don't think there's anybody who saw that and said, who Van Dyke, right? It was pretty much a done deal until it was official. Yeah. I mean, I expected it to be this way. I don't know if I completely agree with it. Um, we've had this conversation a few times on our pods in the past about my opinion on Van Dyke as a whole as captain. Um, I think he's a good captain. I, my only issue is, is I question whether Virgil will be there for more than a year or two more. And I just feel like it's such a transitional period. If you were going to make Trent the vice captain, like what's one more season. Um, but I understand it. Trent learns from Virgil. Virgil moves on eventually and Trent becomes captain of Liverpool. It's kind of all written in the stars. But you don't have an issue like off the bat, like with Van Dyke getting the captaincy, right? Would you appoint somebody else? I, the way you I'm, said this. No, I... I, I might have I might have went right to Trent at this point and put the I might have put the pressure on the young man and been like it's your team now. Henderson's gone. You've been here a long time. You grew up at this club. You're gonna be here for a long time. We're gonna sign you to a big deal. I could have understood it either way, but I, I question giving it to a guy when you think that he could be gone next year or the year after. And that's all Van Dyke's here for, in my opinion, is one more, two more seasons tops. Yeah, Brian says uh, it's expected that he thinks he'll be gone next summer too. But I think when you do not do, I understand what you're saying. Uh, but I think if you do not appoint him as the captain, when it's kind of like writing on the wall. And I know yeah. like the system, is, point. you know, the the coaches pick two, and then you know the players pick two of their own. Uh, that one is like not a popularity contest, but in terms of like who they respect within the squad, kind of a deal. Um, and now, I mean, obviously, Van Dyke was there. Anytime Hendo was not out there, let's face it, Milner didn't play a lot of minutes, so he was there. I almost feel like if you skip Van Dyke, that almost sends a message it, saying, like, you're going to be gone anyway. That That's a good point. I didn't think of it that way, and I think that probably played a little bit into it too. And it's not like you're losing anything because they're both going to be vocal on the pitch no matter what. 
Trentus needs to step up more. And I just think the we all talked about how he would check out at times last year, right? And like just switch off and just look disinterested when he wasn't getting forward or getting in the positions he liked to be on the pitch and he was asked to, you know, do that thing called defend. Um I don't think you can do that or have the luxury of doing that when you're captain and wearing the armband at a club like Liverpool. So I, I, I think it could have been a good challenge for, for Trent's maturation and like stepping forward, but I understand it. Yeah. I think I am okay with the Van Dyke thing just because of natural. Actually, the second one is probably the one that's debated the most and, you know, Trent's vice captaincy. Cause I think but it goes back to what you kind of hinted. It's like a transition period. And I think you don't want to have Trent lead the transition period. Uh, so I think it, in some ways, it makes a lot more sense to have somebody experienced like Van Dyke lead you through this and then hand it over to Trent, who by then will be 25, 26, uh, will have been a vice captain and stuff like that. But aside from... And with Van Dyke, I'm let me let's go back to Van Dyke and finish Van Dyke first. But do you think part of the reason when we talked about it in the past, we said like you know Van Dyke is not always like when he's a captain, it affects his play and stuff. Do you think that's because that was partially because it was not his role? So when you normally do something and on that day you also have to do this, what you normally do. You know what I mean? It's like an additional distraction, something to lose focus to. Do you think that has any part of it or it should not be as big of a deal? You should have been able to kind of take care of both. Um, I, I think it could have some part in it. And I mean, obviously he's had success in both Netherlands as captain, Southampton as captain. So I think he's had successes. I just think he's also at times looked like he's almost taken wearing the armband a little like an even bigger burden than it needs to be. And it almost looks like it weighs on him. He's yelling at everyone. He's trying to organize people in the front three and getting people in the midfield going instead of just kind of like what Henderson did so well is he led by example by doing his job and that allowed him to call anyone else out for doing theirs. Like what he did first was his job, like as asked by him. And then by proxy, he could call you out on not doing yours. And I think sometimes Virgil starts trying to actually like kind of coach from the pitch instead of lead. I don't know. Sounds a little, maybe it's, I'm I think it's kind of like because of like different styles too. I mean, part of the reason why we like Hando so much and love Hando so much is because kind of like, you know, that's how I did it, I guess. You know what I mean? Like he has so much, he kind of like his play is so much on energy and, you know, doing the things hardcore, going full speed that while he's doing that it comes a lot more natural to say well like just like yelling around to people and barking orders Ex and giving exactly. direction you're constantly doing that whereas if you're calm as can be <laughs> and that's your strength it's a bit different to suddenly vocalize and start yelling around right and i think that's where i think sometimes it almost looks contrived almost like he's yelling to yell and like Henderson Henderson used his temper tantrums and his yelling and his scowls and his just stern looks or his cheeky smiles to the kids. He just knew how to manage everyone differently. He knew what they all needed on the pitch. And I feel like Virgil, maybe he's kind of like that kid that everything came so easy to and was just so tall and so pretty and so good and so awesome and had such good hair that like, life was never that hard. And I think Henderson was a kid who was like awkward and looked weird in the mirror and like girls didn't want to dance with in seventh grade. And like, that's, but I, you can almost see it. You know what I mean? Like the personalities of the two guys. And I think that comes across sometimes when you're like the leader of a bunch of different men who are literally all different ages from all over the world and your jobs to keep harmony amongst it. And I think that, uh, I think Virgil has a big job on his hands because he's replacing a generationally good captain. 
And I think that's why it's better that Van Dyke is taking that ban for the time being, or like compared to Trent. And I think, yeah, it's just a matter of style, how they play, and how they lead. Like everybody leads their friends. I mean, you don't have to be the yelling, screaming guy as well. But it's just here's the deal, too, though. Like when you normally play with a captain who is yelling and screaming it's not as the same when you go to another captain who comes in and he's like mortal but you know setting the tone about by being calm leading the leading by staying calm and under control and saying we got this and you know you look at him you know there are certain managers where you look to the side well Klopp is one of them right you get that energy like the yelling and screaming stuff like that and then there are certain managers like I don't know like Angelotti is a good example like that comes to my mind well, as a player, you might look to the sideline and see his calmness and like, we got this look and that gives you confidence back. But it's kind of a matter of what you're used to. If you're used to getting that energy from the sideline and you suddenly put a quiet guy over there, you're like, whoa. So I think that's going to be the biggest difference. So let's get to, Brian says like, honestly, I would have appointed Alisson. I think it means instead of Trent. I think the language barrier is the biggest one there for Alisson. So let me ask you this though. So Trent. Um, I think Alan was mentioning it that, oh no, um, I think it was Brian again mentioning it that, you know, he's still young and he'll be a future captain. Is it too early for him or is that, because if they, if Klopp puts Robo over there, right, I don't think anybody would be like, unless, you know, you really want to like the scouts on our team to be in captaincy. I don't think anybody would question that decision based on age experience and stuff like that no but i think this comes down to again robertson has two years left on his contract there's no guarantee he'll get another deal like i think this is about they need to get trent's contract done right now because he has one year remaining after this season and he's in line for the biggest contract they've ever paid i honestly believe he'll get paid more than mo when he gets when he gets this deal because he's younger, it's going to be a longer deal. And if they're going to build this program around him, then I think this is how you kind of stake claim to that. You you make him the vice captain. You you. To me, this is a statement of from Jurgen Klopp that like, I'll be gone in two years, kid. You're still going to be here. You need to put your mark on it. And last year has to be an aberration. We found something really cool at the end of the year. You seem invigorated England seems to like you again let's like bring you back to being one of the I mean remember there was a time where he wasn't the best right back in the world he was the best player under 25 in the world yeah and like now he's he's a long way from that he could still get there and get back to it and I I think this is kind of I think Klopp knows this team goes about as far as the front three and the new midfielders and Trent takes them. But Trent's a big part of anything we do successfully. Yeah, Trent brought the haircut back to those days. We're hoping now the play and everything like that is going to kind of like come back with it. Do you think, how does it affect, and you know, Brian says he can't go missing matches. See, I don't expect or I don't want expect is probably more of a, like, I mean, I would want my captain to be like active and like, you know, making an impact all the time, but I want him to affect, you know, like be a captain around to everybody else. I don't necessarily need him to put the team on the show. Like I don't necessarily need a Gerard type captain. Cause that's what Gerard was, you know, like when shit hit the fan, everybody turned to him to do something to bring the team back or to score that goal or whatever the, it can be. With Hendo, I don't think that's what we were after. We just wanted that energy and leadership to bring, almost like elevate everybody else to a higher level so the team performed better. But do you think going from Hendo to Milner, uh, going to Van Dyke and Trent, how does it affect us? I think we can all agree. I don't think anybody's going to argue that off the pitch, it's a huge, huge drop off. On the pitch, how do you think it will impact the game? I, I honestly don't think it really will. I think these guys know how to do their jobs. I think there's going to need to be a voice. I'm hoping that Van Dyke will like keep his calm when it comes to like how he handles like working with the officials and and talking to the match day officials and that kind of stuff. That's not ever been a problem of Van Dyke, so I don't see him having an issue. He seems to have a pretty good relationship with the different referees across the league. But 
I don't see how on the pitch it will be a big deal. It's in the dressing room and it's on the training ground that I wonder how important it's going to be. And honestly, I think it's when there's problems in the dressing room and Klopp relied on Henderson and Milner to make it so he didn't have to deal with those problems. And as long as Trent and Van Dyke can do the same, then I think there'll be no issues. I think once Klopp has to deal with any of the the drama or the stuff that happens when you put that many men around each other at that age and with that uh, arrogance, <laughs> you know, <laughs> together combined, um, I think there's going to be disagreements. And I think Henderson and Milner policed that to a lesser extent and kept Klopp out of it. I think that's one big thing, right? It's like almost like having, like, if you're a management, having like really great assistants, like, you know, they solve the problem before it comes to you. And they also serve as a buffer zone. Like, you know, it's somebody to bounce off a problem before you come to the ultimate person to get a verdict on your issue. Uh, and, you know, like right. a good system will direct that person and say, hey, if you're going to go to the big guy, I know the big guy as the captain. If you're going to go to the big guy, this is the way you go to the big guy. And this is how you approach that and stuff, you know, like do that coaching of solving problems. I think, and this is where I guess my concern is. Brian says, that's when you have to lean on the old heads like Thiago, Robo, and Van Dyke. And I think Van Dyke is that kind of player. I can see Gakpo going to Van Dyke and saying, you know, hey, here's an issue and stuff like that. What I can see is uh, which player, aside from maybe Elliot or Jones or somebody like that, and I know, like, you know, Trent comes across as still a kid because we watched him since he's, he's not a kid anymore. He's not that young anymore. So a lot of these guys have come to the team after him. But I guess my biggest thing is if you're a player on the team and you've had, like, an internal issue – how many of those players do you really see going to the vice captain with it? Because I don't. Not a lot of names. No, I, I look on most teams, I'd say no. I think last year, I'll be honest, I think there were some guys on this team that went to Milner because he was James Milner. And yeah. I think it was different. He was this, he had this like kind of like. It was almost like he was Henderson's like right hand, or it was like his back, like genuinely the number two, or the other guy. I mean, Jones, the regional manager. <laughs> I mean, Jones. Jones talked about him the other day, and I couldn't tell if he was like kind of taking a shot at Henderson for leaving, because he just talked gushingly about Milner, like never said anything about about Henderson, and just talked about how much leadership they were losing with Milner and the type of professional he was. I think Milner just carried himself because he was so much older and he was just, people were just in awe of him. Right. They were like, I have to respect this guy because he'll beat my ass and he's old enough to be my dad. But I think some of the thing with Van Dyke is, and with other vice captains, like, do you know who the vice captain is at, at most clubs? No. Is it really? I mean, I don't even know that it's really a thing. There's a captain. And then there's a guy who's given the armband when that guy's not playing. Like in my mind, that's how it works. I know you have a backup, but I mean, really, there's a captain, and then there's the guy who gets the armband. Well, when the I think depends not. on the guy, the second guy. Depends on who you assign for that second guy. And I think that that's probably the only reason. I mean, I love Trent, and I know he's basically being groomed to be the man. And he is a long-term plan. So I understand the decision. And I'm not like, oh, my God, this was a terrible decision. But I guess that's those are my concerns in terms of when you have that vice guy, a guy like Milner, right? Milner, I mean, you know, Van Dyke telling that story about Vilner catching him on the phone or whatever during lunch and finding him and stuff like that. I mean, do you see Trent going over there, like, finding Matip? No, but I think it would be great if he did. Can you see Matthew using a phone? I guess let's start with that. <laughs> I was just gonna say no. I don't. I don't know that giraffes are allowed telephone time. Um, look, Messi showed up in Miami. They handed him the armband. He doesn't speak the language, and he still hasn't even he hasn't even figured out like what the name of the stadium is yet. He he genuinely hasn't. They handed him the armband. He doesn't even talk to people on the pitch. He just goes out and scores goals and gets assists. Like I think sometimes. We both know that we overrate these things. Um, 
I think the team will be fine because it's chock full of leaders all around the pitch. And Robertson is going to be just as much a red ass on everybody, every match as he always has been, if they're not doing their job. And I think Trent's going to be the same personality. I just think it was time for them to put some leadership pressure on Trent. Cause I think it's like the next maturation process in his game, like evolution. And maybe it's Klopp, like trying to light a fire under him. It's a big season for Trent. Yeah, in some ways, I almost see like Robo and Mo being the other two that are probably selected by players. And, you know, those people will go to those guys and, you know, um, as their go-to and they will like probably wear the captain's armband at times. I mean, I know there's a lot of like international backlash about like, how come it's not Mo and stuff like that? But I think it goes back to it had to be Mo or Van Dyke and obviously Van Dyke because he was already acting as the captain makes a lot more sense to me. And like I say, I'm totally okay with the decision. There's not like, oh my God, it's going to be a huge disaster. Let's face it, this whole captaincy and stuff like that really comes to light when there are issues. When I was things just are gonna not say. going well. When things are going great, everybody's getting along. Uh, I mean, anybody who's been on the team knows that the challenge is keeping the, the troops together um when things are going south and things are not going well and get, still making sure people get along and all that kind of stuff there's no finger pointing and all that kind of stuff when things are going well things are going well you're kind of like you put it on the cruise control and then everything is fine none of these issues even if there are issues it will never come to light as long as things are good but i guess the moment something goes south and you know because of the way we're starting the season the first thing that comes up if there's any kind of a personnel problem the first thing that's going to come up, let's face it, in the media, social media, and probably pundits and everything, that, hey, you know, they lost their two captains. This is why. Yep. Of course. And that's the easy way out. And the truth of the matter is it'll have as much to do with it as it did the year that we won 15 out of our first 17. And nobody talked about Henderson being the greatest captain on the planet. Yeah. Right. When, when you're winning matches, no one's like, man, the captain's doing a great job. They won eight in a row on the spin. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the problem, but I'm totally okay with the decision overall. I, I kind of understand the reasoning behind it. I think it makes sense in terms of what you're saying with trends, like looking more like long term and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, let it be said, let it be done. Uh, that's the way that we're going to go into the season. So let's get to the other thing because. Here's a part where we don't know how the hell we're going to the season. And I don't know about you, and I'm an easygoing guy, despite my console performance today. Overall, I'm an easygoing guy. Basically, everybody who follows the podcast knows I'm, I'm chill. Except I am kind of getting to the point where I'm like, why are we dragging this too long? And I worry. And I know, like, oh, trust the process, trust club, in club we trust and stuff. Those are easy to say. That's fine and dandy. And I do. And I do trust, obviously. But... I have a really, really bad feeling that we're going to do the moves that we're going to do because they you, you have to uh, unless you're going to play freaking Mo in midfield like Fantasy uh, Premier League or something like that, right? Um, you're going to bring midfielders, but I'm afraid there's going to be a point in December where things are finally clicking, you know, with the new guys and stuff like that. We're doing well. And we're going to look back and say, man, I wish we did this a few weeks earlier so we started the season better. Do you share the same concern? You're definitely not as chill as I am. So, uh, I mean, I yeah, I've been, I've been on the high level for weeks. Um, so do I wish the things had happened quicker? I do. I don't know that they expected Fabinho and Henderson to leave. And I, if, if they hadn't, then I think the things that did happen would have happened fast enough. And that's that's really where my problem is here. Um, we were put in a position to need to do it quicker. But we aren't going to just rush to these things and overspend. That's just not the way this club operates. And I, I do think the lobby of things going to happen. It could happen from how they're talking. It could happen as early as tomorrow or the next day. So... <coughs> If he's in the fold by, excuse me, if he's in the fold by the end of the week um, and you have him in, he might not be ready to start the Chelsea match, but hopefully he's ready to at least play a part from the bench that day. And you just get him ready as quickly as you can. You hope he's ready for Bournemouth or, or for match week three. Because 
the hard part is, is if Lavia comes in as the Fabinho replacement, he's got to start day one. Like it's not, he's not coming here to be an understudy. He's coming here to play. Cause I watched the other day and he didn't look poor, but man, it's scary with Curtis Jones as the deepest midfielder defensively in your setup. You're, you're, you're playing with fire. Um, he played well, he played well. I'll give him credit. And I know McAllister can do it, but McAllister has looked so good yeah. being the most furthest forward midfielder. I mean, the passes he's finding, the like the hockey assists he's already picked up this preseason where he's the pass before the pass. Yes. And he's seeing passes that we've missed for a long time. Like, I can see why people said, like, that McAllister was good at Brighton, but put him around some great players, and he, he might even go to a new level. Like, Mo could make McAllister, Mo and Darwin combined could make McAllister something special. Yeah, I mean, I think what I like about him is like the vision and the willingness, I guess, to use that vision. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, not every through ball is going to go back, but like he has a more of a attacking mindset, which you do need from that position. I think that's one thing that's going to change this year is we have some players in there that are not just, that are still going to do the blue collar work but they can also be a threat moving forward. I mean, that's one thing I've said in the past, like when you had, I mean, as much as I love Hando and stuff like that, you know, when he has the ball, let's say on the wing or in the corner, you know what's going to happen. I mean, is that going to be recycled or he's going to try to make it to the line and cross the ball in. But as a defender, that makes life a lot easier. I think having guys who have the vision and the courage to play those through balls and like attacking, yeah, it's like a huge... It's a huge game changer. I guess my biggest concern going back to the Lavia thing is before, and I understand everybody's like, well, we didn't expect the Saudis to come in and stuff. Okay, let's go with that. We didn't expect the Saudis to come in. Now we have to come up with plans to replace. Even before, if you rewind things two, three weeks, even before the Saudis suddenly liked our players, we kept saying we need at least one more midfielder and possibly a defender. So even if we couldn't get, maybe we were like, hey, Lavia is not going to happen, we, you know, the money or whatever. And that suddenly we're like, wait, fab money is coming, so maybe we can use it for that. Um, we, I mean, they should have been those players, right? That should have been almost ready to go. Or does this pretty much mean we intended to do nothing if the Saudis didn't show up? I don't know. It means we weren't going to do anything. I think they've been trying to get players in all summer. I just think they work within their own constraints of what they believe is good business. And it's not like there's a ton of other teams. Like the English teams aren't buying a bunch of players this summer. Like city hasn't bought a bunch of players. Arsenal's done some business. I mean, Chelsea's a revolving door. It's like a turnstile. It's just, but I mean, Spurs aren't really doing business. West Ham struggled to do business. You know, and, and unfortunately for us, you know, the market exploded on sixes. You know, Rice moves for just ridiculous money. It just inflated every price across the board. And people know that clubs are desperate for these players right now. And I think that's why Southampton is hanging out. Southampton is hoping for a bidding war. I think the only people really out there saying that anyone else is in for Lavia are people from Southampton that want people from Liverpool to up their bid. Because if Arsenal or Chelsea really wanted Lavia, they'd get involved. Like, he wants to go to Liverpool. There's an agreement in place to go to Liverpool. He's going to Liverpool. This is just one of those things, in my opinion. They just have to find a way to make every, all the sides work. And if one thing, if history has shown anything, Southampton and Liverpool can find a transfer. Yeah, no shit. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing. I wish... And I know, like I say, it's a bidding process and stuff like that. It's not the football manager. But it feels like we don't have the urgency. I don't know if that's coming from Klopp and the gang and say, you know what, we're fine. Take your time. Do whatever you got to just get him at the end kind of a deal. Uh, I don't know. I just find it worrying that we have a tough run of games to start the league with. I mean, you have like Chelsea in there, Newcastle in there. In some ways, I think we're getting Chelsea at a good time. Because uh, I think Chelsea is going to be a team that's going to get better as the season goes. Uh, oh, I do too. I think Pochettino will kind of like sort things a lot more, and they won't have like six different like freaking dressing rooms. But 
Um, I think that's what we're getting, but you're going to play Newcastle and stuff. And I really don't want, I guess my biggest worry is come December and January, we're going to be like, oh, shit, man, we didn't lose that point there or two points here. We'd be in good shape. So if you brought those guys in earlier, we'd be there. And I think that's probably uh, my concern. Uh, Michael Martin says, sorry, I'm late. That's the demerits, by the way. Uh, we're 30 up. minutes yep. demerit. Yeah, that, exactly. It's over 30 minutes. I would have given you if you came in a couple of minutes earlier, but just... Yeah, you would have only been a late. This is basically an absent. Yeah. <laughs> and no call, no show, if you will, almost. It's just a no call. At least she showed. So um, so let's go back to the preseason. I mean, we're hoping that something is going to get sorted. I think it's just like, you know, we can talk to talk about it to death but uh the word is going to be like we're working on it the powers that be and we're hoping we're going to get the right players in. let's go back to preseason um michael says he's just early for the next show yeah next show is Fair. wednesday morning buddy so grab a blanket <laughs> wrap it up and we'll be good to go by the way speaking of uh there's a bunch of new stuff coming up obviously we have the editorials out now uh so if you didn't catch those i know you were up in the crack of dawn recording a editorial for the preseason after we joked about not watching it probably because it's too early i think that was like wednesday or friday we were joking about it uh but the fantasy show is coming back soon correct yep next uh this thursday night we're gonna start up again at nine o'clock and then we're gonna go every thursday uh throughout the season it's gonna be a live show myself and matush the polish prince uh we're gonna go through fantasy we're gonna do a couple different formats this year where we focus on like a player or two each week that might be like hot on the transfers and why and talk strategy of why you might bring that player in. Um, we always are willing to do team reveals or team reviews on air. If you send us your team in advance or bring your questions to the chat. And we have the Thursday boys coming back up, by the way, I do expect to be called as a guest on the fantasy football show so I can bring my expertise of players in the Bundesliga who can really contribute to your team like Cancelo. I had him all season last season, and let me tell you, he can bring some points. So I do expect a, like a cameo appearance where I share my expertise on players that are not in the Premier League, but you can have on your team in the Premier League fantasy football. Uh, but the Thursday boys are going to be back uh, starting next week. Not this week, but next week. Uh, so the boys are back in town. And this season, since there are no 6.30 games, right? No morning games for Liverpool means no morning games for us. So we'll definitely have our pre-match and post-match every game over here. Uh, dissect the lineup before it comes up. And then celebrate after the game and say we were wrong. Club uh, had it right. Uh, whatever the case might be. So, uh, But anyway, a lot more coming out uh, with the programming uh, coming up over here. If you want to get involved, just give us a message. Send us a message. But of all importantly, do us a favor share our broadcast give us a like subscribe it really goes a long way and we appreciate everybody's support but and if you're listening to us on the podcast check out our youtube channel as well uh, and subscribe there because most of these shows are going to be on the youtube and facebook uh, avenues only so going back to the games you woke up in the crack of dawn to watch the game let's face it you didn't wake up to watch the game you just happened to be awake i woke up i just woke up rolled over and was like well I can only watch it on my damn phone anyways because LFC TV only really works on my phone or my computer. It takes me a half hour to remember the password on my computer and reset it three times. So the phone has it stored. And then this stupid-ass app doesn't allow you to turn the screen sideways and look at, like, the full picture of your phone. And you can't even expand it in the top. So I got it basically in this amount of my phone. So that's what I actually watched. Oh, okay, uh, is this really an app or are these like old man problems? This this is no, this is <laughs> this really did not work. I tried it on Kelly's phone too. Same scenario. Um, I think the app is just garbage and like everything else that I pay for nowadays, it's worth about 30% of what I pay for. But <laughs> the actual play was fun. It was good to watch them. I haven't seen any of the other matches. Um, the goals were great. I mean, that was really the fun part. It is fun to watch them score goals. It's good to see Darwin playing well. Uh, and it was really good to see Mo. Mo looks up for it. Mo looks energetic and lively, and he's not even scoring. So uh, it's pretty, like, I think there could be some real, real fun this season. I just think that there's going to be a lot of, like, squeaky bum moments at the back. And I just don't think it's going to make for easy watches. 
Yes. And I think, see, the problem with it is I don't know how much to be even concerned with that because it's a back line half the time that doesn't play together. And then the other times, the people in front are not there uh, that are regularly would be in front of them. Uh, but I do like what I'm seeing. Let's start with the front because the back is not as fun to talk about. So let's start with the front. Um, so Mo, yes, definitely. Like creativity-wise, I think he's really enjoying that role. And I think having those midfielders who are more attacking threats kind of opens up things a lot more for the guys up top. Because like I say, before, it was not an issue until Mo got the ball. It was not an issue until, you know, Diaz got the ball and stuff. Now, at all times, you got to be a lot more alert because that through ball can come any second. Um, but let me ask you this out of all the people in front, like Nunes scoring goals and they're, you know, they're, they're all kinds of goals. They're poacher goals they're finishers and everything in between, which is really nice. Cause that all that kid needs is confidence. Jota to me looks amazing. I mean, he's mm. probably like, honestly, like he's probably looks the best to me out of that lineup. I don't know why. Like anytime I see him, I only watched like a extended highlights of this one, uh, but I watched the other two preseasons. I think he's a great preseason. Diaz looks like he's coming back more and more every time I see him on the ball from that injury. He's almost like getting back to himself. So I guess my question to you is, who is your front three right now seeing it's almost like everybody clicking pretty darn good? So obviously let's just like, let's just pencil in the one that the constant, right? Most starts on the right because, well, the backup is 16 and nobody knows how to say his last name because it's either Doak, Doik, Doak. Like I've heard a hundred different. Doak, isn't it? I've heard, I heard the other day some English person say it's Doak and he was corrected by the player. I was like, I could not see that. I'm, my name is Ben Doak. Like I just punch him. Um, but either way, Mo's on the right, right? So we know Mo's there. I think there's a real argument, and I'm with you. I think Jota has looked so good. The the turn that Jota has in full speed on the McAllister pass to shoot the ball that the keeper pairs out and Nunez taps in, like his turn is so good. The touch and turn to get his shot off, it's 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 a striker at his finest, right? At, at his highest form, his quick run and the snap header to score the third goal. Same thing. Like it's, it's, he's been right on it. And I think you're right on there. I think Jota starts on the left, to be honest. I can see that. I, I think Jota starts on the left. And I think right now it's, it's a two man race between Darwin and Gakpo who's down the middle. And I'd say right now, I think Darwin probably has himself like out in front by a neck. You you well, scored this Trevor many goals. That though, because Trevor says the same. Jota and Mo both scoring and distributing these three games make them easy last time. I think so. I mean, when you watch the game, well, Mo, let's face it, even Mo was not having the best preseason because of the reasons you're saying, because you can't pronounce the name of the backup. Uh, it would automatically be Mo on the right hand side. Um, but seeing Jota's performance, but here's the thing going back to Gakpo, is it fair on Gakpo? Because he's not, if Gakpo was, for example, playing with this starters instead of Nunez or Jota, would he be just as good? Because he's in some ways playing with the second string. I, I think he would, but he, he, I mean, he's basically Klopp's basically just been playing halves of football with everybody yeah. with mix with mixes of, you know, Dominic in one half and McAllister in the other half, Jones in one half, Elliot in the other half, like a kid on either side of each half. It's not like he's sending out these guys with second stringers. Gakpo's been out there with, I mean, for one half he did start and he played with Mo. Um, I mean, he had that one weird half where he played in midfield, which was kind of weird to me. I think he was actually playing like in the eight. Um, yeah, and that's the one I think that he had the assistant stuff, right? With Jota, yeah, yeah. which I listen, we bought we brought Darwin Nunez in to be the stud through the middle. Gakpo rightfully won the job last year. Maybe Gakpo was bought to be the fourth utility offensive player who can play all three positions and back everybody up and start occasionally. 
And if Nunez is firing, he's going to play. I mean, I said it in my uh, editorial. Like, we all made jokes about. Uh, I've I've read a lot of people say, I see Nunez tap in goals and score these poachers goals. You know, I'm not that impressed yet. They're they're you know their goal strikers are supposed to score, but you know what else? Like like you know what else gets is like uh, scoring goals like that are habits, right? You make those habits. You know what else are formed habits? Missing sitters and easy chances. And he did that last year. And to your point, he lost his way in his confidence. And I think for his stats to be way up there to start preseason and his play to maybe even be better than his stats are, because his movement's been good, you can tell he understands how to play with his teammates better. And I think you're starting to see like a real relationship form with him and Mo. And if they get going with their pace, look out. Like, it could be scary. And I almost think that Diaz coming off the bench is kind of kind of a perfect substitution pattern because he offers something different. He's so direct. He's different than Jota in that way. And I think that you bring uh, Diaz in late in a match and you need to make something happen and you want to change it up, you can bring on Nunez and Diaz or Gakbo and Diaz. I think you're really starting to cook with something. And, you know, I, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I'm with you. I think I think Jota might be the second name on the team sheet after Mo when it comes to the front. Yeah, I mean, just the current form is, like, amazing. I mean, with Nunez's goals, that's what you want from your striker. I mean, I always go back to the story about, you know, Rush. I don't know what the hell the game was. This is like a long, long time ago. Even I was young. Uh, so it's that long ago. And I remember like a like a shot. It bounces off the goalie. Like basically that goalie reaches, but it kind of like bumps back. And it's rolling away to the side. Uh, but the net is still wide open. And, you know, these are old days, people. Not a lot of cameras. It's not the best angles. Uh, so you don't see anything. But you knew as a Liverpool fan, as somebody who knew Rush, he's going to show up suddenly, and boom, he comes suddenly into the into the screen, just taps it into empty net. And I think that's what you want from your goal scorer. It's being there for goal scorers half the battle. And I think anybody who scores goals and anybody who tries to cover those assholes like I was, I was trying to knows it's just a matter. It's not luck. Those guys know where to be. It's a matter of sensing where the ball is going to be and going there. Now, if he's doing that, I don't care if he's putting in 40 into a back, you know, an empty net. More power to him. Just do it uh, as long as you're getting the goals. And I think every time you touch the ball and you see it go into the net, it builds confidence for like a striker. So now, I mean, I remember like I always go back to that game against uh, United when we beat him 5-0. There's a goal that most scores. I think it's the fourth one. Nobody in their right mind usually takes the first shot at that, you know, probably would try to control it. But when everything is going your way, you have that confidence, you take those shots. And when you take those shots, they end up going in because you're hitting it with confidence. So any goal that Nunez gets, I think is a plus, regardless of how like easy it is. Uh, let me ask you this, because Klopp was talking about when they asked Klopp about this. He kind of like indirectly talked about, he kind of like took that question and ran away with it to the other side and said, is the important thing is we got to defend from the front. Do you think that's kind of like geared towards telling Nunez, you can score 80 goals if you want. If you're not defending, it's not going to work out. Or do you think that basically ultimately that's what he's going to look at when he picks this front nine? And let's face it, you know, Jutta or Gakpo are better defenders from the front. Yeah, I, I think he is saying that, but I think he's also I mean, I think he's talking to everybody. And I think I think in some ways right now he's just like he's using a lot of that natural coach speak that we talk about a lot on this podcast. Like he's saying all the little innuendos you need to say in the media. <laughs> he's passing all the giving it you're all working it through together. You know, he's he's using all the euphemisms that you have in the coaching world. And I, I think when it all comes down to it, Nunez is going to play a big role this season, whether it's from the starting lineup or from the bench. We have a lot of matches. And I think there's I think there's going to be a lot of goals scored by him if we are going to have the type of season that we all want to have. 
So you're putting him up there as the starter no matter what. I mean, Trevor makes a good point about bringing Diaz at tired back lines. Yes, it is. Like, you know, I think – and I think one thing I like is we saw this last year, I think, with Nunez. I like – as a player, as a mindset, I think I do like Gakpo coming off the bench or Diaz coming off the bench to make an impact as opposed to – Nunez coming off the bench because he never looks like that player because he always like over tries and stuff like that. Whereas a player like Jota comes off the bench and he almost like knows what's needed, like been there, done that, and this is my role kind of thing. You think that makes a difference in terms of who starts, who comes off the bench? Like, what do you think a decision is going to be based on at the end of the day? I I think the decision to start against Chelsea is going to come down to just who who finishes the preseason in better form overall because I think. Klopp likes to reward players, especially early in the season, right? Um, I think overall for the whole campaign, it's going to be a mixture because I think at times this year, I hope we see this manager start lineups and rotate based on like the tactics that he's planning to deploy against the teams we're playing. Because this is, I saw an article the other day that said, like, this could be one of the most interesting Premier Leagues in a while. Because there are going to be teams that try to just set up and play with a low block because they have no other way to compete at this level. I mean, Luton isn't going to be able to do anything else. Like, they think they're going to come out and play. They're going to get 7 nothing every day, right? It's going to be really tough. So I think this is going to be a really interesting Premier League. And I think there's still, you know, I mean, Roy Hodgson is still a manager of one of the teams, so we know how they're going to set up. Um, and then you figure in, you know, Brian Shelton just mentioned, you figure in Thursday Europa League matches and and all the travel that comes with it. So I think there's going to be rotation. I think there's going to be a way to play different formations and hopefully different tactics. And I'm hoping that that gives us a little bit more I think that we're going to have a more fluent starting 11 this season than we've, than we've seen in the Klopp era. But I think I've said that before and been wrong each time. <laughs> I was going to say, hmm, where have we heard this before? I'm mean, not only you. I think we all thought that. I mean, to be fair. And we didn't see it. And I, Partially, it was a lot of injuries. But you're always going to have freaking injuries in one shape or another it's just a matter of i think brian is right though i think the europa will force us uh, almost like a league cup game where we will have to do but i think and i hope the focus is still more the premier league and the main rotation parts comes on like a thursday um let me ask you about wednesday's game i will be waking up for this first of all 6 30. uh so it's doable it's more than doable i'll do it uh and then we'll be hopping on the breakfast show that martin michael martin is going to be waiting for anyway so we'll be jumping onto that right afterwards uh, are you looking for anything special this game or is it the same as the lesser game and the same as the the third game uh in terms of it's just a preseason i to me i feel like we will see the closest thing to what we can in terms of a good test. Yeah, I, I think actually barring injuries and everyone being available Wednesday morning, right? I feel like there's a very good chance that the lineup you see Wednesday might be the lineup you see start against Chelsea. Okay, so who will be the defensive midfielder on Wednesday morning? I think the midfield... I don't know who the defensive midfielder will be, but I think the <laughs> midfield will be Dominic McAllister and Jones. And I think that will be the starting midfield against hmm. Chelsea as well. But you don't know who is going to go to six. Who would you want well, to go to six? Let's play this I, game. I, I would play... My, I, would play McAllister at the six, I think, based on that lineup right there, just based on experience. I know that Dominic can do it as well. But, again, I just saw Klopp do it in a preseason match 48 hours ago or whatever it was, 24 hours ago. I, I think it will actually end up being Jones at the six. Yeah, and it's an interesting experiment, and it's I hope it's a temporary experiment uh, for the most part, too. I definitely like it 
more than the Trent experiment. Let's go with that. Because, uh, I mean, we need him as the right back. He is the right back. So inverted fullback, whatever you want to use him as. But, yeah, let's keep him there and not as uh, the defensive midfielder. Because I think we lose a lot than we gain that way. Um, so if it is Jones, let's go with this. So Lavia, it seems like it's going to freaking happen, right? Shelton says Sobosla has six. I'm hoping he's being sarcastic because I think that's probably the least defensive option out of those guys. Um, I probably be, normally I would say McAllister uh, just out of because of experience and haven't done it. But kind of like what you're saying, I really like what I see from him with the ball in the advanced positions. It, that I don't want to lose that. And and if if we are really gonna have Trent in possession playing in the inverted position more taking up spot in the midfield you are kind of asking in that spot curtis jones to be in a double pivot which i'm less worried about curtis jones playing a defensive midfield role if trent is somewhat next to him tucked in in that kind of same spot i just think it asks an awful lot of kanate and virgil at this point to like cover a lot of ground and make up for the inexperience of a guy Fab wasn't on good form last year. Yeah. But it was still a very formidable professional who knew what he was supposed to be doing. His body might not have been able to keep yeah, up, exactly. but he knew what he was supposed to do. I don't know that Curtis knows yet what he's supposed to do. And those are the situations I get most worried about Curtis because when he has to think is when I'm usually the most worried. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's just, you know, it's a different positional run. That This is why my frustration comes along. I mean, yeah, anybody can do defensive midfield. Like, hey, stay back a bit more. It's not only like, hey, stay back a bit more. Don't go up top kind of thing. It's a whole different way of how you play the game and your responsibilities, especially in this freaking system. So that's, I guess, like my biggest concern. Um, I mean, Jones is a six, way too much against Bayern. And I think that's why it's a good test. To be honest with you, I mean, uh, if we're going to even if we are even contemplating about because we're not going to get anybody across the line as fast as we should have, going back to what I was saying, um, we might have to use Jones there or. And so this is a good test. Uh, I mean, because if he does it against Bayern and he does it well, then you can easily see him doing it against the Chelsea as opposed to somebody who just joined the squad and doesn't even know everybody's names yet. Yeah, and that that's what I think it, it all comes down to for me. This is about one or two matches getting through the period and letting Lavia or whomever else bet in. Maybe they buy another player. You know, there's talk of a few different players out there right now, right? Um, there isn't this miraculous player that's just going to walk in the door. And even if they did, they'd still need a week or two to get down all the play and the practice and excuse me and all of the positioning and the cadence and the plan and the tactics so at this point it probably is jones or one of the kids and if you're telling me it's jones or one of the kids i'll go with jones and this is, like I say, mainly because we're trying to hold McAllister where he's at because he's just been kind of like amazing to watch, really, like what he can do over there. He's closest thing to Genie in terms of protecting the ball uh, with his body and shielding and being able to get out of situations and make something happen. That's something we just never replaced uh, since Genie left, I think, in that position. Uh, I mean, we had, you know, when Curtis played it and stuff, it's kind of different. And I think that's the biggest probably concern that I will have with Curtis playing as a six. And that's why I'll wake up in the crack of down to see how it goes. But is he going to be able to make that adjustment? You play the position totally differently. It's not just midfield. It's defensive midfield. And you just right. play a different than other role. But the advantage I think Curtis has over somebody like McAllister is he might not. McAllister might know what to do as a defensive midfielder because he's done it before but curtis knows what a defensive midfielder should do in this setup more than probably McAllister does because curtis knows what he has to do knowing what the other guy is supposed to do so it's just a matter of taking your body and putting it over there now and doing what that guy is doing as a defensive midfielder but 
so it should be an interesting game to see. I think, you know, the last one is more like a throwaway. Uh, it's like the, the fourth preseason that uh, NFL got rid of uh, has a feeling to it. The last game against Darmstadt, I think it is, right? Um, at home, I think it is against Darmstadt. Uh, but, so, prediction time, end of the show. Next week, this time, when we have Bickler here, hopefully cleaned up the crime scene and back in North Carolina, what do you expect to see in terms of the squads? Do you expect to see Lavia? Do you expect to see Lavia and a friend of his? Or what's going to happen? I expect to see Lavia. And I hope there is another signing. And it's not a 16-year-old kid. Because I keep getting texts and posts about 16-year-old kid signings. And I think it's great. And they sound like really talented little wonder kids. And every once in a while, the wonder kid turns out to be Harvey Elliott. And then four years later, we question whether the wonder kid will ever be a player in the side. But it's great. And it's fun to watch during the time that they grow. But that's what they really are, kids. I think Lavia's here. And I hope there's another signing. They keep talking about these like young signings that they're willing to sign and loan back. Yeah. But that just doesn't seem I mean, I understand the idea of it, but it just doesn't seem like where we are right now. It feels like we need to sign players and bring them in, even if they're kids, and let them train with us and get acclimated so they're not a year away coming back. Um, but I really hope we get a defender, but I just get lobby across the line, and I think I'll be happy with that. <laughs> just set the bare minimum over here. <laughs> just just do one of it. Shelton says uh, Lavia and a surprise out of nowhere that's what i'm hoping for but i get the feeling it's just going to be lavia too and i think it's because these players that are we're getting and loaning out are players that were like hey you'll be great but the current squad does not allow them to be able to get the most out of them at this age and in those cases i'll be honest i think i we are better off having them stay where they're at get the experience in a top league as opposed to, you know, just show up in a League Cup game every once in a while, and that's it. So I think that's what? a better experience in the long run. Are you describing Fabio Carvalho's time at Liverpool Football Club? Exactly. I mean, that's, you know, I think that was maybe a lesson learned. It was a great piece. He can be a wonderful player, uh, but not, somewhere really, else. not for this system. Yeah, and somewhere else, cause, because <laughs> this system maybe doesn't allow it. If nothing else... It does increase, increase the value and yep. showing that, hey, look what they can do as opposed to kind of like sitting on the bench and not gaining any value. Hell, Ox is looking for a great opportunity in Istanbul right now because even the Saudis are like, is he healthy though? Uh, so they're not like offering him the wages he wants. Even Besiktas, who's the only team I think interested in right now, wants to add a like an injury clause of some sort in there knowing you know, he's going to come in like wrapped up in some kind of bandage somewhere. I'd, I'd probably add an injury clause to Ox's contract too. But the thing about Carvalho is, is he goes to Leipzig and has a great year and rips up the Bundesliga and gets six to eight goals and seven, 10 assists, something like that, and plays good as the number 10. We could probably get 35, 40 million from one of these clubs for him. Yeah. And big, big clubs will come in because everyone knows the talent's there. I personally don't know that there's any like path for him back to Liverpool. I think when you leave the club talking about the manager the way he did and kind of throwing out quotes like he never talked to me, told me to make me figure it out on my own. They promised me I'd be a 10 and then I realized quickly they don't play with a 10. Like it feels like maybe the club saw a young player they thought they could prospect profit on. And when it didn't fit, they did what they had to do. Send him out on loan, he'll have a big year and we'll sell him. But the it's I, the only thing I don't understand about that whole Carvalho thing about the number 10 situation. It's like, bro, did you never watch Liverpool before you well, signed? And if yeah. you did sign, even let's say, let's make this crazy scenario. Did you think the entire Liverpool, I mean, you can't have that much of an ego as a young kid, and I'm sure he doesn't. He seems like a more of like a humble kid that yeah. you thought entire Liverpool will change his entire system to accommodate your number 10. That was what I meant. Not part of the ordeal. I just did not understand. Yeah, me either. But, hey, best of luck to the kid. I hope he does great. I hope he comes back and he's a stud because I like watching him. And if not, I hope they sell him for a fucking buttload. And I think that's the – I mean, Taki is a perfect example, right? 
I think if you buy Taki, I mean, he did what he did, and he had a huge part in that League Cup, scored a bunch of goals and stuff, but what we got for him was still limited. I think you give those performances in a different league on a regular basis, you get probably you'd probably triple the money you're going to come. So instead of having a kid that you get from Spain uh, and like throw him on the League Cup game where he's, he looks great, so if he doesn't fit your system and you need to move from him, you got to set the price and the market a lot better. So hopefully uh, that's what they're going. Brian says way too slow for us. I think, I mean, way too slow for a winger, but the kid wasn't a winger. Uh, so we kind of played him in positions where he's not really suited for. It's not his fault. Uh, but then again, like I say, I don't know what he expected. But um, let's hope we do some action. So it's kind of like uh, gets away from some of my frustration over here. But Wednesday morning, uh, we'll be on right after the game with the breakfast, the morning coffee show, and then we'll definitely be talking about the game. And hopefully by then, I'm really thinking now that this Fabinho thing is across the line, uh, something's going to be official uh, by then is my feeling. Tomorrow is the day. Mark your calendars, people. Uh, but thanks a lot, as always, for those listening, liking, sharing, all that kind of stuff. Head on to our YouTube channel. Give us a subscription there as well. And most importantly, actually, just share our content if you can. Pass the word. Like Michael Martin over here, it says, good stuff, gents. To make up for your late, you should be sharing minimum of three broadcasts. I think that should be the, that should be the demerit uh, that we give Michael Martin. But, hey, thanks a lot always. That is your punishment, guys. Yeah, exactly. And we'll see you guys on Wednesday morning. But this podcast will be back with you guys next Monday with Bickler joining us again. Take care, everybody. Good sleeps.